The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Financial News Edition. My name is Trista Kelly. I'm the Deputy Editor of Financial News here in London, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Jeremy Chan. He is the Trading and Tech Reporter, and Charles Allen, Chairman and CEO of BTCS, a blockchain firm. Jeremy and Charles, thanks for being here today. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, we have a lot to get through. There's already so many audience questions, so I'm just going to kick it right off. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, Charles, what do you make of this whole crypto crash we're seeing? There's Celsius, Voyager, Terra, Luna, you name it. Uh, lots of coins dropping to zeros and near zeros. But though there has been a little bit of a of a bounce back, but people seem to be losing trust in this asset class a little bit. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's not just the crypto market, right? I mean, the, the, the whole economy in general is shaky, right? The stock market, um, you know, inflation. So there's a lot of the, the backdrop of other issues are, are huge, right? But when you look at crypto, you're right. There's, you know, I think everything kind of kicked off with, uh, you know, uh, Terra and algorithmic stable coins crash and that, that kind of set of... Uh, certain events into motion. I, I think the positive, though, is we've seen a bump in crypto prices over the last couple of days, and it it really creates opportunity if you understand uh, and are willing to take the time to learn the technology and what it can do um, for the future of kind of the economy. Um, it, it's really an opportunity. Um, so I don't really see it as going anywhere. I and mean, if you, the, the biggest thing you can do is take a step back and look over, you know, eight, 10 years and see where crypto was then and where it is now. And this is just a blip. A blip. Yeah, a blip is, yeah. Okay. Um, well, what regulators are definitely taking notice, regardless if it's a blip or if this is the bottom or, or, or what, regulators, are they now kind of look like the good guys here. That, you know, here in the UK, we saw a little bit of uh, the FCA saying, I told you so in so many words. And uh, they're trying to protect consumers who lost money, basically. And that script has flipped from the more bullish days when back when uh, everybody hated uh, the Gary Genslers of the world and, and uh, thought they were out to, to get their returns. So do you how do you see this playing out? I think it's a really positive thing for for, you know, the industry. Right. I mean, having you know, I got into crypto back in 20, you know, 2013. And it was very different then, 2014, 15. I mean, crypto was, you know, more for illicit use than it was for, you know, Goldman Sachs wasn't looking at crypto and institutions weren't looking at it. But I think overall, when when companies start um, using crypto or operating like a bank or, you know, like the, the ICO craze in 2017, where these things were effectively securities for the most part, um, you know, I think, you know, the regulators have been sitting on the sidelines. And to the extent they can have good policy, and it's really important to have good policy, but that promotes, you know, if it's securities, you want the formation of capital and orderly markets. And sometimes you, you know, that the the formation of capital and orderly markets and, you know, really the protection of investors trumps formation of capital. I think in this case, 
we don't want to hinder technology. We want blockchain technologies to really grow and thrive and be, you know, a cornerstone of, of, of economic growth. Um, and in order to do that, you know, sensible regulation makes a lot of sense, right? You have to get the bad actors out. We also have to do it in a way that people can build legitimate businesses um, and, and, and build the technology. So we'll see. Hopefully they, the, you know, the regulators get it right. Um, you know, there'll probably be a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. It tends to always happen that way and then a, a pullback. But I think it's a positive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I feel that most people think that, you know, you can't just depend on the regulators to set everything right. You know, from your perspective, just generally, what does the industry kind of have to do to, you know, kind of win back trust or, you know, kind of restore confidence that, you know, the industry itself is looking after these problems that are have become apparent with the, with the latest crash? Well, I think, you know, one thing you'll probably see is um, the, you know, a lot of retail investors and people that hold crypto will start looking a little bit more seriously about who they're doing business with and probably start trying to hold their own private keys. I mean, if, you, if you've heard that expression, like not your keys, not your money, um, you know, if you you don't need with crypto necessarily the protections of like the FDIC in the US, right? Just take your money and secure it yourself, right? Like if you have money in your you know, in your desk drawer in the safe of your home, like, okay, yeah, you could get burgled. But for the most part, if you have your own money, you don't have to worry about a bank failure or what is this institution I put my money with? Um, what are they doing? How are they giving me these returns? So um, I think people will start, hopefully start to get a little bit smarter. And then just on the flip side, people have very short memories, right? So, you know, if crypto starts going back up again, people will forget to some extent why some of these things happen. Uh, hopefully they take the, the you know the lessons learned and start you know managing uh, and keeping an eye on their own money in a in, in a more um, you know productive way. Do you think um, I guess the the flip side of that? Do you think people would be turned off because of this latest crash? It's sort of like there's a bit of a scar that that people have will remember this, or is it as you kind of said more more short term? And you know once things things start looking up again, the the bad times were a distant memory. I think it depends, right? It'll depend on, you know, in, individuals like, you know, if someone lost a lot of money, I think it's going to be hard to swallow. Um, I, one of the things that I find very interesting when you look at either the stock market or even the crypto market, there is a huge fear of missing out, right? Huge fear of missing out. So people tend to always buy at the top. And when everything's crashing, right, it's going to zero. It's, it's the end of it. Crypto is a fad. I mean, I've heard that over the last, you know, eight, 10 years. Uh, it's clearly not the case. And then, you know, they're not investing. They're, they fully invested at the top and not the bottom. And that's happened in the stock market. That happens in, you know, the crypto market. And that's just, it, it's a very peculiar, um, you know, human behavior where everything else in life you negotiate, right? Like you, you know, if you just think about where you're negotiating, what you're doing, it tends really just tends not to happen that much with you know, trying to get the best deal in the stock market unless you're like a professional investor, right? Um, and so hopefully... Um, you know, the trust isn't lost. I mean, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, the blockchains really haven't failed, right? Bitcoin's blockchain's never been hacked. Ethereum's holding strong. A lot of these, most of these blockchains have never had any issues, right? I mean, Terra aside, um, I don't, that, that's pretty complex. So I don't want to get into the, the meat of that. But, you know, people have lost their Bitcoin because they've had it stolen. You've had Mt. Gox, you've had, you know, Celsius, you've had all these institutions, but they're all centralized institutions, right? Like look at what Celsius did. They went and paid back the, the DeFi loans first before they filed for bankruptcy. So I think if you're an outsider kind of learning about this space, it's a really interesting time to look at how the technology 
um, you know, how robust the technology is uh, and how stable it is. Uh, obviously, the prices of cryptos go up and down, but that's supply and demand. But really looking at what it can bring to society going forward, I think, is, is huge. But does, but does a small investor who is interested in FOMO, like you said, are they that interested in, uh, you know, the technology and how good it is for society if they lost their shirts in this latest crash? Like, what do they care? <laughs> what do they care if blockchain and DeFi are uh, robust institutions that they can maybe trust going forward if, if they can't get their money out of Celsius now? Well, I mean, what, what if you bought pets.com back in, you know, uh, was it 99, 2000? Like if, if you were into pets.com, same thing. You, you, you fear of missing out. You didn't want to miss the internet bubble. You lost your money. Um, what do we have now? We have Netflix, Uber. Like, I mean, we have this, we have this you know, video call going on um, across the globe, right? Um, so uh, all these things that will benefit, there will be companies that will make money and people will make um you know, be able to make a nice return on their investment, invest in both companies do this and cryptos, right? I mean, it's the first time, if you look at a technology like the internet, you could not uh, invest in, you know, HTTPS or a protocol, right? Like you couldn't invest at that infrastructure layer. Yeah, you could buy like Verizon, but you couldn't own the underlying infrastructure. Like, hey, I want exposure to the internet and I don't want to do it with a company. You can do that with crypto. You can say, hey, I want exposure to Ethereum, right? That's kind of what our company does. And how do I get exposure to that and that whole infrastructure, everything that's built on top of it, NFTs, DeFi, you can actually own a piece of that, right? And that's that's really compelling. So I think, yeah, people are gonna lose their money and they're not gonna be happy. It's, um, uh, but, you know, if you look at it in the long run, um, I, I think people will, will see it come back. And, you know, those those that kind of, you know, the expression in crypto is hoodle, right? Like, like hold your crypto. Um, We'll probably do okay. If you've done that in, you know, 2014, you know, it's funny you're talking about Bitcoin, uh, and that was kind of what I referred to as the blip. I remember when Bitcoin went up to like 1300 and crashed back down to about 170 on a percentage basis. That is a huge decline. Now we're talking about hey, it hit a peak of what like 68,000 and it's dropped down to you know it's now in the 20s and it got down to what like 18. Like who can, it's it's on a percentage basis, not that big a deal. Um, if you just look back uh, at where it's been and what the, the, the number of users and interest, um, overall, I think it's, you know, just take a long-term view and it'll, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously the market's very different now um, than it was back in the previous crash. And I think part of that comes down to the fact that there's a lot more institutional sort of interest in, in the asset class. You know, before, before the crash, there was, you know, a big push to try to legitimize crypto through the use of, you know, a lot of traditional tra traditional finance institutions, you know, are looking at this asset class, you know, ultimately, where are they going to, you know, sit in the ecosystem if, if and when, depending on your level of optimism, crypto uh, kind of, you know, returns back to where it was in the, the, the start of the year. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And um, Jerry, can you hear me? Okay, I just want to make sure. Yep. Okay, perfect. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it's actually really impactful that institutions have come into crypto, but it does change the dynamic a bit, right? The, the, the dollar flows, the amount of money has gone up, it's driven the price up. Um, but institutions also operate kind of on a risk on, risk off uh, approach. So crypto is almost trading um, like, a, like, a, like a tech stock, right? Um, so the correlation between 
you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and the general market or, you know, the, the Nasdaq's much, much higher, right? In 2014, in the, in the early days, uh, it wasn't really mainstream and it kind of did its own thing. So um, it's really become its own asset class, which I think is a positive, right? The more institutionalized it becomes, it will, it will take volatility out of the market as investors get more sophisticated um, and it just makes it more mainstream over time. I'm back. I had a Wi-Fi issue. That's so funny, Charles. You just said, oh, we're talking over, uh, you know, across the globe. And then my Wi-Fi uh, cuts out. So I missed what you just said, but I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah. We're just kind of going over uh, the, uh, the, in the institutional side of, of crypto. Obviously, they provide a lot of liquidity, sort of, you know, pricing, price sort of uh, management for the product. So I just wanted to kind of continue touching on that topic, you know. Ultimately, how how are they going to impact the I guess the way that retail customers also interact with crypto? You know, is it kind of be like the stock market thing where you have sort of two kind of tranches with the retail investor and then a lot of the liquidity, a lot of the kind of uh, price 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 booking is 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 done through the institutions. I think that makes yeah. I think that that's probably what happens. I mean, what I'd love to see is getting to a point where people are using crypto on a day-to-day -day basis, right, um, as a currency. And it really depends on what crypto, I and mean, there's so many different, you know, cryptocurrencies out there. We kind of bundle them all and say, okay, what about, you know, what about Bitcoin or what about Ethereum? Uh, but there are very different use cases. So I think overall getting, you know, getting something, getting crypto to, to act like money is a very, it's a long process, right? Um, you know, new currencies don't just, you know, pop out, pop up overnight and, you know, become something that's going to be used even after, you know, 10 years. So right now, you know, with that, with that kind of mention, like Bitcoin acts more like a, like a store of value, right? Like gold, right? Like institutions are putting in because they think it's going to go up. But a lot of people aren't buying crypto or, or like Bitcoin for that matter to spend it, right? I mean, there's, was that the, 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 the guy that bought a, you know, a pizza with Bitcoin back in, I think, 2014 or 15 is, is, is probably kicking himself now that he could have been, you know, had, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Right. Um, so that that kind of fear of missing out, I think it's, it's really more of an asset. What I think would be amazing is, you know, just kind of a, a new financial system built on the rails of blockchain technology where you don't actually have to, you know, interact with fiat to, um, you know, to move money around and transact, right? And that would kind of open a global economy and all sorts of other opportunities. I just want to remind listeners to submit questions and then we can uh, hopefully get to them at the end. I want to give lots of ample time to submit um, as many as you can. Um, I wanted to also ask about the, Charles, the, the store of value like gold, I mean, I think it's worth noting that Bitcoin does not behave in any way like gold when it comes to the price. In fact, it, it's, it tends to move in the opposite. Like you said, it's a FOMO type of very risk on asset that tends to track the NASDAQ, you know, the riskiest types of stocks out there and the safest uh, asset classes tend to go in the opposite direction, usually with Bitcoin. So uh, while people do treat it like gold and a hedge against inflation. I've heard that one before too. It doesn't seem to be acting that way in the markets. Do you no, think that'll change? 
Yeah, I, th I think you kind of nailed it, right? It doesn't act like gold. When I was referring to it, it's similar to gold in terms of other properties, meaning it, it's a scarce resource, right? Like Bitcoin has 21 million Bitcoin that can be mined. Gold has a limited resource, right? Depending on the supply, you know, on the planet and the accessibility of that supply. Um, you know, gold isn't transacted with, you know, to buy things, right? The majority of it's stored in, um, you know, in vaults, right? So, um Though gold does have a, a use case, right? You know, jewelry and, and it's a great, you know, electrical conductor. So I think in, it, Bitcoin has a lot of similarities to gold in terms of its properties, right? Scarce resource, um, um, you know, kind of a store of value, but it does not, you're 100% right, it does not trade like gold. And that's because I think it's a risk on risk off asset. Um, theoretically, it could be an inflationary hedge. Um, but in order to do that, it needs, you know, you need to basically change the way people think about it, right? Because it's really, money's a belief system at its heart, right? If you, if you take a really big step back and look at, well, what is money? It's just a record keeping mechanism of who owns what, and it needs to be, you know, grounded in a belief system, right? Like the, look at the U.S. dollar, it's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. That's a belief system. You believe the government is, is not going to go anywhere, make good decisions. You know, you don't have... Uh, other men, other fiat issued currencies by by other countries don't have that same uh, value, right? Uh, we've how many currencies have we seen devalued or you know hyperinflation? So um, just like a currency that's a belief system, um, so is Bitcoin, so is crypto. Uh, you know, it's just a supply demand equation based based on you know people believing it has value and willing to trade other goods and services for that value. Um, and if I may, may then. As we kind of talk about the fiat currencies a bit, I think it's a good time to pivot to central bank digital currencies, which are sort of some people call them the crypto killers. You know, others um, call them, you know, that they won't you know, amount to anything. But, you know, really, where, if governments do have them, because a lot, a lot of them are, I think, believe the latest that I saw was that 90 percent of the world's GDP, the governments are looking at a kind of stable coin crypto, you know, government issued uh, digital currency. Where would they sit in the ecosystem and how would they interact with with crypto, you know, with Bitcoin and with other with other tokens? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, I, I hope we see um, central bank digital currencies. I mean, it would be huge right now. The the way in which we move money is, it, at least in the U.S., it's very efficient, but it's a very, you know, if you look at the pipes behind it, it's not a very good system. Right. It's kind of piecemeal been built on top of itself. You know, you have Swift, you have, you know, you have all sorts of these financial technologies and solutions when we can just redo the rails. And so if the government, if governments redo it, um, I think that would be amazing. What, what does that mean to cryptocurrency is kind of the second part of your question. And I think you really need to look at what cryptocurrencies do, right? So currency is just one use case, right? Uh, I'm sure everyone's heard of, you know, NFTs and maybe you've seen some you know, uh, you know, 20 by 20 pixel uh, image of a, you know, a monkey wearing a baseball cap and smoking a cigar selling for $3 million. And, you know, that's not really what an NFT is, right? An NFT is just a single use or unique, non-fungible token, right? Money is fungible. It's one, $1 is the same as another dollar. There's no difference between the two, as is Bitcoin. And so I think when you start looking at these unique, unique use cases of NFTs and other technologies, those can be built in a world in which we digitize assets and move them globally uh, without a trusted third party. And that's kind of what the Internet did. It, it, um, we digitized information and move it globally 
all around the world without it, you know, um, easily. So, uh, and that not, that's not necessarily just money. That's just one use case, right? If, what if you want to move a digital representation to a car? You want to have your car title move around? Or there's all sorts of applications that can be built on blockchain technology that far exceed um, what you can do with, you know, crypto is money. And so, I mean, that's where our company's focused. We're focused on securing these next generation blockchains that, you know, Web 3.0 will be built on top of. Um, but I think when, when, if you kind of look outside in at crypto, what is it? It goes a lot it goes far beyond Bitcoin. That's one use case. It goes far beyond uh, central bank digital currencies. And it really is the digitization of assets on a global scale um, and the ability to move them and transact without a trusted third party in the middle. And that is that's as game changing as the Internet. Charles, I want to leave lots of room for questions, and some of them uh, are, have a great segue. Uh, just a reminder, you can submit questions uh, to the audience. Uh, number one, this one comes from Rod. He says, what segments of the digital asset industry do you believe will survive and thrive? You mentioned NFTs. Is that is that one of them? Oh, looks, looks like we, we lost them, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we haven't had good luck with this one. Um, but I am really curious. Well, there's a great reminder to just um, uh, do submit questions and hopefully mm. we'll get Charles back so he can yep. answer. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of that, of that you heard, Charles, but I was asking a question from Rod. He was, you mentioned NFTs, but what segments of the digital asset industry do you believe will survive and thrive? He actually has a second part to this question and which countries are on top of the digital asset industry and what are they doing right? Okay, so in terms of um, you know the first part, I think there are all sorts of things you could do in NFTs, right? Um, it could be securities. That's one, obviously, that's highly regulated. Um, I think the low-hanging fruit of things that will move on to blockchains are areas where there's no incumbent player. There's no one that's defending their market share that doesn't want to see uh, you know, te technological improvement. And I think, you know, that's why you've seen the digital art being an amazing use case for NFTs and that there was no way for artists to monetize their work, right? Um, uh, initially, right? Like if you, if, if you had a, a painting and you sold it, right? Let's say, you know, you're, you become a famous artist later, you don't get residual commissions every time that that art changes hands. So if you paint something that turns out being worth $10 million five years from now, but you sold it for 10,000, you make no money every time it changes hands. Now there's a way to do that through blockchain technology. You can get a commission every time your artwork, your digital art moves from one person to another. So there's a business model. That's why a lot of these um, uh, companies are really jumping on the NFT bandwagon. And there was no incumbent player there, kind of where I start. No incumbent player, no framework, you know, these auctions, it's kind of Sotheby's is in it, uh, but that's huge, right? If you look at other places where people talk about, like, you know, uh, if you put real estate records on the blockchain, it's effectively an NFT, right? That real estate record's an NFT. That's a really hard nut to crack. There's a, there's a system in place for that, that on how that works, it's regulated. Um, same with securities, highly regulated market. So I think um, the technology, NFTs, everything will, will kind of hit these lower hanging fruit opportunities where there aren't incumbent players and new business models could be built. That's kind of like you know what you've seen with DeFi. Uh, in terms of what countries this will happen in, you know, I'm hoping it happens in the US, right? I think we would have, uh, it would be a strategic loss for the country if we don't build the technology uh, and have a, you know, back to the, the regulation. 
a comprehensive set of you know, rules and regulations that allow businesses to, to thrive. Um, you know, but development's going on all over the world, right? I, I mean, there are a couple of countries where it's, you know, Russia, China, there's some that are not as open to blockchain technologies. Um, but I think all modern countries are, you know, there are people that are focused on them. Uh, huge focus actually in, in Puerto Rico, right? There's a lot of, you know, top blockchain people uh, doing work there. So I don't know if that kind of addresses like regions. I could go through a bunch of others, but it really is global. Hmm. And this, I have one from James, actually from James and Bill, both kind of on the same track. When will the U.S. accept the fact that blockchain technology is here to stay? And I guess this, uh, he says, we're fighting with the SEC's regulation by enforcement, and this will drive credible blockchain developers out of the U.S. We need to educate our Congress. That's a very good point. I mean, I can, you know, I, I know there's someone deep in, in, in blockchain running for Congress up in uh, you know, New Hampshire, I don't want to give him a plug. That's his job. But, uh, you know, I think it's something that it's going to take time. I and mean, one of the things I, I always look at is it's going to happen. It's generation, right? Like my kids, you know, um, you know, they're young. I've got a nine, six-year-old. They can, they can operate my phone really, really well, right? They can operate my phone better than my mom can, right? Who's, who's you know, in her 80s. And I think that's a great example of, you know, as the, the younger generation that grows up with this technology, um, you know, you know, become adults and, you know, end up in positions of power, it's going to happen. So it's really a question of one. Do we convince the people uh, in Congress now to make it happen or do we wait generations for this to come through? I think realistically, as a country where, you know, we need to do more education, you know, things like Celsius blowing up doesn't really help in terms of not ending up with knee-jerk reaction. But overall, there's been a lot of talk and not a lot of action from the regulators. I mean, I know there's been some enforcement, uh, but it's been kind of dragging on, right? I think at some point, hopefully, we get a clear set of, you know, guidance and rules uh, that make it really easy to to um, uh, to operate in a space without having to you know, look over your shoulder. But I don't think they're going to crush it, right? It's just, it's too big already. Like the amount of people that would lose money and the amount of outrage if they just said, hey, crypto is illegal tomorrow. I think that option's you know well off the table at this point. It's how do we make it so you know the average Joe on the street does not lose their money, and I think that's completely fair. And how do we do that in a way that a company can actually build a business, right? And so we'll see. I mean, it's you know the jury's out. There's a lot of focus on it now. So I'm, you know, hopefully we get something good. There were lots of states that did ban Celsius from operating in those states. I mean, maybe they were uh, the good guys. They look like the good guys now, don't they? They do. I mean, look, Celsius, and I don't know how much you know the, the audience is, is aware of it. I mean, for the most part, it was acting like a bank, right? They were promising high interest rates if you deposited with them, and you didn't have great clarity on how they were earning that return or what they were doing with your money, right? I mean, to me, you know, that 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 didn't really. Um, that doesn't really hold up, right? Like you would have, like, I, look, I run a public company. There's, go read our SEC filing. There's complete disclosure on everything, right? We've, we've spent a huge amount of time on risk factors and making sure that everyone understands all of the risks of our business. And if they buy our stock, what, you know, what could go wrong? And with a lot of private companies, you just, you don't have that. And then they don't, you know, with the terms of service, it's kind of buried and hard to tell. So I think, yeah, the industry needs to grow up and do a better job of communicating to its, um, you know, it's constituents, right? Whether that's, you know, shareholders, if it's an ICO or token offering, but uh, use 
investors if you're taking their money of what the risks are and how, how you're how you're going about you know act, acting as a fiduciary to extent you are taking their money. Great. Let me go right back to the questions, Charles. Um, this is one's from Jerry. How can we prevent the government from implementing digital currency? I mean, if the government, yeah, I, that's really see like if, if you know central bank issued digital currencies. I, I assume that's where the question is. I mean, that that's up to them, right? I mean, if we could, you know, have your have your you know represent your your congressman or senator to like you know oppose it, right? Lobby. Uh, there's a process. I think we're a long way away from the U.S. you know digitizing um, the dollar. And why why is that? Is that just because of the polarity right now in U.S. politics, or what what do you see going forward on that front? It's complex, right? There's it, it's uh, it, it's risky. It's complex. There's a lot of technical aspects. There's a lot of um, consensus that would need to be built to do it. Um, you know, so I I see it. You know, something like that taking a very long time, right? It's kind of like uh, like use cases for blockchain like we should be doing all of our voting on blockchain right there's no reason we should be talking about hanging chads and did that you know what's going on with this machine it's, it's absurd right but that's going to take i imagine we get there at some point where elections are done via blockchain it probably starts at like you know a local high school's you know student council election they do an experiment and do it on the blockchain and it's really efficient and you see this you know get ingrained in the society and, and slowly take hold over a long period of time and it was a little off topic, but just in terms of... <laughs> no, that was my fault. I have a question from Hal. Um, and this is a, this is a, 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 date, a doubter. Uh, what does it bring to society? Bitcoin is no dollar. Will this BS ever stop? Why redo the rail system if it works? Uh, digital ID is not crypto. We don't need Bitcoin for that. Okay, that, that's a great question. Look, Bitcoin is one of many cryptocurrencies, right? And I think it's it's a first generation blockchain. There's a lot of innovation that has happened since then. And I would argue if you if you're a retail investor and you had an account at Robinhood and you couldn't trade because they had capital constraints on the back end or a bunch of complex things happening where institutions could still play and you ended up on the short end of the stick, whether it was with GameStop or AMC, that is a broken rail system, right? And so you could literally put the securities markets onto a blockchain-based system, right? If the regulators would allow that to happen and you could settle instantly, like not T plus two, which is what we're on now. You probably, if you follow this, Gary Gensler is talking about moving to T zero, settlement within one day. So if you have a transaction that doesn't settle at the same time that it occurred, there's a window where all sorts of games can be played, right? Um, and so, you know, blockchain technologies provide a solution for that. So to your question, do we need Bitcoin? We could probably do without Bitcoin. Can, can blockchain technologies, whether that's Ethereum as the base, um, that things are built on top of, that can fundamentally change society in the same way that the internet can. You can move assets globally without a trusted third party. Uh, and that is, you know, and you open up new business models. So. From that perspective, you know, I, I think it's something that, you know, everyone should learn, learn about and, and, and not ignore. Hmm. I'm going to take one more question. This one is from Joe. How can investors get comfortable with investing in crypto or digital assets when the service providers are so different than those in traditional finance? 
um, like how does an investor get comfortable? It, and that's a tough one, right? I mean, the first thing that you can do is if you're looking at buying crypto, you can try to limit your risk. And what I mean by that is if you buy crypto and you hold your assets on an exchange, you have two risks. You have the price of the, 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 the cryptocurrency, which is you know, that, that cryptocurrency and the, the, the blockchain itself, right? Is that viable? Is there a future for that? The other risk you have is I've left my private keys. That's basically your money on that exchange. And now I'm taking all the risks associated with that company. So one thing you can do to limit your risk if you want to get into crypto is buy your cryptocurrency on an exchange. That's kind of how you have to do it, right? And they'll KYC you and, and go through the normal checks if they're you know, uh, legitimate in what country you're in. And then give it off exchange, right? It's kind of that expression, your, your keys, your money, right? If you, if you had, you know, I kind of used to know, if you had $10 million, um, you know, if you leave that at the bank, um, you know, your FDI insurance is $250,000. Everyone trusts that system, right? That there won't be a bank run if the government will come bail the banks out if there's a major problem. Which you have before, right? Um, you could put that in a safe in your house. Most people don't do that, right? Because it's, you know, they're worried about getting robbed and it's inaccessible, but that is an option. With crypto, you can do the same thing. You can hold it yourself. And especially at times where we have seen exchanges and entities sale, like move it offline, move it so you control it, right? And then it's a question of if you have your crypto, like, you know, don't walk around with it like left on your phone. That'd be like, you know, would you, would you ever, if you had a million dollars, go walk around a bad neighborhood with a suitcase filled with a million dollars? Of course you wouldn't. That would be irresponsible. Would you walk around with $100 in your wallet? I mean, now I don't have any money in my wallet. Um, uh, but if you, if you had that scenario, you would lock it down in a way that's safe and secure and protected and in your own custody. So I would say to that question of how do you protect yourself or, or operate or get involved in an environment where you may not trust the counterparty, trust them for a short period of time, buy your crypto and hold it yourself. You still at that point are taking the risk of, is that a good blockchain? What's going to happen, right? You like the crypto? Do you, do you believe in the future of that crypto? Which is a very different question, right? Do you want to buy Bitcoin? Do you want to buy Ethereum? Do you want to buy Solana? But at least you can limit yourself to just that risk with a little bit of education. It's not that hard. Charles, thanks so much for chatting with us. Are there any anything we missed? No, look, I really appreciate you having me on, on the show. So, Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thanks for being here, Jeremy. Charles, and uh, thanks for the audience for tuning in. Uh, we hope you listen to our next episode. We have one coming tomorrow. Tomorrow's Penta's senior writer, Abby Schultz, will speak with the former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick on impact investing. Thanks for listening, and stay safe and have a great day. Bye. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.